<clears throat> well, if you didn't hear Cord's message last week, you really need to go back and listen to it. Um, I spent some time at my desk just going through it uh, yesterday because I really wanted to have it clear in my head. It's the passage where Abraham is praying that God won't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah at the end of Genesis 18. And he says, you know, if there's 50 people, I won't do it. And he gets down to 10. And uh, Cord just did an incredible job. So if you didn't hear it, Please go online. But I want to say thank you to Cord for doing for doing it. But what, I want to tell you what I was doing. I was at Purdue. And my baby sister, Jennifer, who's watching, uh, Jennifer graduated uh, with her master's degree from Purdue University. Now, let me tell you why. I, well, you can give her a hand, but I'll tell you why. Um, <clears throat> at 37 years old, she decided to go to college. She hadn't gone to college. And at 37, she started college. At 44, she finished up a master's degree from Purdue. So her two brothers went in to celebrate and pay for everything. You know what I'm saying? That was, uh, that was kind of our job. But I tell you that for two reasons. I've told you Travis's story and my sister's story to tell you that no matter where you might find yourself right now, it's not too late to start over and write a whole new story. Because uh, uh, life's long, and uh, you get to decide what it's going to look like three, four, five years from now. Okay, But I will tell you, <clears throat> on my flight to uh, Indianapolis, I had some time to reflect. <clears throat> and I, I've been processing the pain of some of you thinking I'm not funny. <clears throat> some of you thinking that my daughter may be funnier than me. Um, it cuts. It cuts. I won't lie. Um, so I decided on this flight that I'd do some research. So I went back. I've been preaching here 30 years. So I went back into the archives and I found CDs and cassettes and 8-tracks and uh, a reel-to-reel. And I listened, <clears throat> I listened to a lot of my old messages and I was really funny. And about 12 years ago, I like, I could tell there was something that changed just like, I mean, you don't just lose being funny. I'm like, something is really wrong here. Uh, but I realized that that was about the time that we started broadcasting online for all of you online people. And then I realized I'm just not remotely funny. <laughs> or maybe personally funny. All right, today's going to be very hard. Uh, it'll be difficult for me to say, but it'll be harder for you to hear. So buckle in, reach over, grab the seatbelt, buckle it in. I promise you I'm going to anger somebody today, probably a bunch of you. It's not my intent, but if preaching does not anger you in some way, if it doesn't upset you, if it doesn't make you realize that there's things wrong in your life that you need to repent of, it's probably not biblical preaching. Okay, so I promise you there's going to be some hard things said. So I'm just going to ask you to hang in there. So <coughs> I'll give you the latest statistics. I read these this week. All right. Denominationally, all right, the word on the street. If you follow the news, the American church is dying. You see that story every day in the news. The American church is dying. Let me help you. Man's church is dying. God's church is doing really well, all right? There's a big, big difference, all right? And they did this article about the mainline denominations, okay? I'll run you through them, all right? Um, there's a 
there's a group of Baptists, it's not the Southern Baptists, but there was a group of Baptists, the Presbyterians, the Methodists, the Lutherans, um, the United Church of Christ, and the Disciples of Christ. And I grew up in the Disciples of Christ, so I know that group very well. And they have, are hemorrhaging people at a rate of 40 to 50 percent a year. They've lost millions of people in the last five years. And there's two reasons for it. Number one, it's this issue that we're going to talk about today. It's all about sexuality. And they have this idea that if we become inclusive, that we will fill up the building. And what they've done is empty their buildings because people actually want to hear the truth, not a bunch of junk from the culture. But at the core of that message is this. They do not believe the Bible is the word of God. And if the Bible's not the word of God, you don't have a church, you just have a club. And in most of these cases, and again, the fastest declining church in American history is the Disciples of Christ Church that I grew up in. That denomination is dying at a pace that they can't even keep track of. Because they refuse to stand on the word of God. They literally said, if we don't push all this Jesus stuff, we'll get a whole lot more people. Wow, that's a great plan. Just don't believe anything. And so it's just a religious club. They no longer have the, the, the word of God in the forefront. So, man's church, yeah, it's in big trouble. God's church, doing real well. So that's what we're going to look at today. Because you know, we stand on the word of God. And so we deal with very difficult passages. So Abraham is crying out for Sodom. And Cord took you to 2 Peter chapter 2, which I'll refer to several times today, where it said, Lot was a righteous man in the middle of a very perverted culture. And it said that his conscience was vexed, that Lot was brokenhearted for the people that he lived with. It was, it was, the whole culture was a mess. Can anybody relate to where I'm at? But in the book of Job, 4,000 years ago, Job wrote these words. He said, God sees everything. God knows everything that's going on. Nothing is hidden from the eyes of God. So after Abraham finished his prayer and he gets down to five people. Now listen to me. Listen to the heart of God. God said, if you can find five righteous people in the whole city, I won't destroy it. Now, Sodom and Gomorrah, geographically, is right at the end of the Dead Sea. Uh, I've told you before, you can go down there and pick up the stones, light them on fire, because they're full of tar and bitumen. Exactly what it says God sent from heaven to destroy the cities. We have actually found remnants. They're, they're about this high of the buildings, because God leveled it. But there are still remnants of the homes there. Ironically, on both sides of the Dead Sea, on the Israeli side and on the Jordanian side, are huge resorts all the way down at the bottom of the Dead Sea. And in the midst of all of these resorts is right where Sodom and Gomorrah was. Right square in the middle of that is where we find all of this pain. So if you'll stand out of respect for God's word, we shall tackle this. I'll read the beginning. I'll read the end. You can finish the middle when you get home. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening, <clears throat> and Lot was sitting at the gateway of the city. It's almost like Lot knew something was coming. When he saw them, he got up to meet them, and he bowed down with his face to the ground. 
My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet, spend the night, and then go on your way early in the morning. Lot's trying to get him out of there. No, we'll spend the night in the square. Nobody would have spent the night in the square. But Lot insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate it. Before they'd gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out so that we can have sex with them. Lot went out to meet them shut the door behind him. And he said, no, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Now, I am not going to explain this next part. I don't have time just to know that Lot knew they wouldn't do it. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let them, let me bring them out to you and you can do what you like with them. But don't do anything to these men for they have come under the protection of my roof. Get out of our way, they replied. And they said, this fellow came here as an alien, speaking about Lot, and now he wants to play the judge over us? We'll treat you, Lot, worse than them. They kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break down the door. But the men inside reached out and pulled Lot back in the house and shut the door. Then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness so they couldn't find the door. The two men said to Lot, do you have anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Anybody with a connection to Lot could have been delivered. Get them out of here because we're going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-laws who were pledged to marry to his daughter. He said, hurry and get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But the son-in-laws thought he was joking. Great thing to joke about. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot saying, hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here or you will be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and the two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. End of the story. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord and prayed. He looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land like smoke from a furnace. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. You can be seated. Okay. So this is obviously not going to be easy, but we're going to look at it. First of all, God sees. But I really, I've done this for 35 years and I don't know how many times I've taught and preached this, but this week as I was reading it, I got a whole different perspective. And I'll even tell you where it happened, and I'll be brief because we want to stay focused. But I'm driving down Hand Avenue, okay? And when you get, just so you don't, if you don't know, when you cross Nova and you get on Hand Avenue on the other side of Nova, the speed limit's 25. Did you know that? I'm working with you now, all right? So I'm driving down the road, and I'm thinking about God's emotions during this event. 
And as I'm pondering that, there's an Ormond Beach police officer standing in the middle of the road pointing me and encouraging me to stop and have a conversation. Um, and he said, can you explain to me why you were going the speed you were going? And I thought, well, I could explain to him that I was thinking about God's emotions 4,000 years ago. Or I could just say, no, sir, I have no excuse. I went with, with the latter. Um, we had about a 15-minute conversation. It went really well. Uh, but anyway, uh, this is what I was thinking about. I was thinking about God's thoughts on all of this. Because I have been on an overlook at Jerusalem that overlooks the whole city. And it's the spot where Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem. And Jesus, it says, as he's weeping, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if you had only known that the Messiah was here, if you had only known that the answer to all your problems is now standing here in your presence, but you've missed it. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. If he wept over Jerusalem, do we think God wept before the flood when he wiped everybody out? Do we think he wept before Sodom and Gomorrah? Now, I understand what's happening in the story. But I also understand this is God's creation. We're God's children, right? So, I think God was mad. But I also think he had tears in his eyes. Now, my default is mad. Can anybody do mad well? Okay, I mean, that's just a gift of mine. I can get mad in a hurry. But I've never found mad to help anything. But I think God was brokenhearted that he had to... Why do I think that? Because God got it... Abraham got down and God said, Look, if you can find five people, I will spare all of this crazy sin that's going... I will spare everybody if you can find five. God didn't want to do this. In Peter, he tells us he did it so for the rest of time, the rest of the world would realize, hey, don't act like this, don't live like this, because God will bring judgment on you. We don't learn very fast, do we? Now we live in a generation that just denies that all of it ever happened in the first place. Let me take you very quickly just through a few things. These are just highlights that came across the newswire this week. A young girl who grew up in our church posted this. Drag shows are really fun. Artificial intelligence uh, will be the greatest weapon against faith. When they say faith, notice they always mean Jesus. Nobody ever attacks Muhammad. They never attack Joseph Smith. They never attack Buddha. They mean Jesus. The British and the Canadian crowns, right, for what, a thousand years? have had a cross on them. They took the cross off the gold crowns and put snowflakes in the place of the cross. Parents are getting death threats for opposing the LGBT uh, program in the schools. I thought that group was supposed to be tolerant. Uh, Collier County down in South Florida, uh, they, uh, they're getting ready to hire a new superintendent and the people said, under no circumstances will you hire a Christian or anyone who has moral belief in God. Catholic Church has uh, a banner up that says God is transgender. And then they have art to prove that. And then we've got the sports pride nights. We've got, have you, anybody heard of this phrase, clobber passages? Now you're not listening to enough bad preaching. 
in every one of these dead churches, they will come out and they'll talk about the clobber passages. And they're like, oh, there's just a few passages in the Bible that deal with this topic, and you all just don't understand it. So, for 4,000 years of history, everybody knew what it said until you got here. And now, we finally know the truth. Man, are we lucky to have you. For 2,000 years in the church, we've known what it said, but now we have you. Are we blessed or what? Now, the problem is, those passages are in Genesis, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Romans, 1 Corinthians, and Revelation. So there's a few. I can keep you busy for a long time. Now, I don't want to just pick on this one issue because you need to understand when, the, when God goes into a list and you read the list in 1 Corinthians 6 or Revelation 21, there is a whole list. It says anybody who is sexually immoral who does not repent, does not turn back to God, will not get into heaven. Now that's heterosexual, homosexual, it, cowardly, gossips. There's a whole list of things in there. So we're all guilty, all right? But what you cannot do, what you cannot do is say, well, I just don't think that part applies anymore. It's all true. You're like, well, okay, but that means we're all going to hell. Bingo. Without Jesus, without Jesus, everybody goes to hell. Why do you think we celebrate here every week? Why do we celebrate Jesus? Why do we celebrate the cross? Why do we have communion? It's all for that very reason. We have a drag queen that is now the recruiting agent for our military. We've got trans athletes destroying women's sports. Let me, I'll just finish this because I like this one. Just to show you how science works. If you put uh, 100 women and 10 men on a deserted island, you come back in 100 years, you will have a thriving community. Yes? If you put 100 trans women on an island with 10 men and come back in 100 years, you'll have 110 male skeletons. Now that's science. Doesn't matter what the world's trying to tell you, that is science. Now, sometimes I feel like I live in a time warp. It's like, man, am I really this crazy? And the answer is, no, I'm not. They are. All right? And all you got to do is look at the rest of history, and all you got to do is have a little bit of sense to realize what's playing out in our society today is not normal. Do you know that people in Western Europe who have always been way off the cuff they're saying, what's wrong with America? They're asking that. We're, we're supposed to be crazy, but you guys were supposed to be the foundation. What's going on with you guys? Galatians 6-7 says, however, God will not be mocked. People might get away with for a while. It may not be as directly as what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah, but we will not get away with any of our sins. Because God does see all that's going on. And second part of this is not to laugh. Now, back in 1 Peter chapter 3, it said that when we get closer to the end, people are going to make fun of anybody who believes in Noah. Now, it's interesting. Here's what Jesus said about Noah. Jesus said, 
In the end times, it will be exactly the way as it was during the days of Noah. Did Jesus believe in Noah? Yeah. Yeah. But it says at the end times, anybody who believes in a global flood, even though there's a whole world of evidence, even if you believe in Noah and a worldwide flood, you will be mocked and ridiculed. Surely as Jesus was mocked and ridiculed, and as surely as Noah himself was. Peter tells us that Noah preached for 120 years while he built that boat. Anybody remember how many people converted? None. None. But it did not relieve Noah from his responsibility. Now listen, we may only get one or two or five or ten, but they're our family. They're our friends. They're our neighbors. And instead of being angry and judgmental, I'm not saying we don't hold to the truth. But what if instead of being mad, we started being sad? What if we started weeping for their souls? Realizing that unless they find Christ, it doesn't matter whether it's what sin it is. Because every one of us is dealing with something. Everybody's guilty of something. What would happen if we started weeping over these sins instead of proclaiming hatred? Because hatred never gets anybody anywhere. All right? Now, I don't expect you to accept it. I'm not going to accept it. I have no intentions of accepting this kind of behavior. But I can separate the behavior from the people. You do it with me. I do it with you every day, right? You don't judge me on everything that I do and say and think. We have a relationship in spite of some of what I am. And that's, I can do that. I can do that with anybody. But you don't get to define how I think. And as Christians, we're supposed to be the light of the world. We're the one that's supposed to be impacting others. But in the story, and, and you have to know, just like in <clears throat> with Joseph and Mary, when you were engaged to be married, you were already considered <clears throat> in-laws. And so he goes to his two son-in-laws. Now, how many times has somebody come to you and said, hey, you need to hurry up and get out of here. The world's about to end. Never. So Lot does that, and they laughed. They laughed. You'll notice when the angel picks up Lot and his wife and the two girls, the son-in-laws don't get picked up. They died in the city. A lot of people laugh at the Bible. They laugh at God. They laugh at the miracles. They laugh at our faith. It's okay. Just be very careful not to put yourself in that spot. But then I think the real money to this story is the last part. And that is to keep praying. Abraham gets up early in the morning and he looks down and the whole plane, as far as his eyes can see, smoke. Everything is destroyed. And then it said, but God remembered who? Who did God remember? Abraham. Even though Lot's a righteous man. It didn't say God remembered Lot. It said God remembered Abraham. Because Abraham had prayed for Lot. Because Abraham had pleaded for God to spare the city. To spare it if there was 50, 45, 40, 35, 5. Because of Abraham's prayer, Lot and his family got out. Don't ever stop praying. 
Because I don't know when the answer is going to come. And it may not even be while we're still breathing. But don't ever stop praying. Ephesians 3.20, Paul says God can do immeasurably more than we could ever ask, imagine, or think according to the riches that we have in Christ Jesus. I like Derek Jeter's. Derek Jeter played for the Yankees. That's hard for me. But other than that, he said the last thing you want to do is finish playing or doing anything and wish you would have worked harder. What if I'd have prayed just a little more? What if I'd have just talked one more time? What if I would have invited one more time? What if I just had not given up? Because that's what Abraham did. Abraham pushed it right to the end. And he didn't know. Abraham didn't know when he got up in the morning whether Lot was saved or not. But then God said because of Abraham, he rescued Lot. Now I'll finish with this story. Ken Johnson, interesting character. He's the only guy in the history of baseball to pitch a nine-inning no-hitter and lose the game one to nothing. Second baseman made an error and a run scored. And he threw a no-hitter, gave up no hits, and he lost the game one to nothing. Now, if you can live a perfect life, to this point, you've lived flawlessly. You've never sinned, never had a bad thought, never had a bad deed. You can stand before God and say, God, I was perfect. I get to come into heaven. Anybody? Probably not. So the truth is, no matter what topic we're talking about, everybody needs Jesus, right? You and I aren't throwing a no-hitter. We can't blame anybody else. We've already made so many errors that we know we need Jesus. So if you're online, you hit that button, I've decided. If you're here in the room, come down front uh, at the end and there'll be prayer people down here. Um, but the message is never give up. And the key is for all of us to repent and to turn back to God. So Father, I pray that you would speak to us. I don't know who needs what. I don't know whether it's people caught in sexual stuff. I don't know whether it's lazy spiritual work that we need to work on. I don't know if there's people that laugh at the word of God that don't believe it to be true. That they need to dig in and find the truth. But I ask you, God, to do what you could do in this room and with the people watching online. That you would speak clearly about what each of them needs to do. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.